All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here with Calvin. Hey. And uh, we've been doing a lot of classics lately, and this was one of my picks. Uh, we're doing Casablanca today. Yeah. And uh, no, A film that I actually haven't seen before, despite which, my education. It feels like one they... Because this is talked about as like one of the... Like, maybe a perfect movie. That's weird, because, yeah, I don't agree with that. Well, I mean, I don't either, but people... People have said that. Well, we didn't even watch Citizen Kane in school. I actually did that for uh, just funsies on the outside. That we talked is, about a, like yeah. like a lot of other ones. And I mean, the reason you don't watch Casablanca is because you don't need to to understand the era. It's it's not a special movie. I I don't know. I liked it. I, I when you know. when you watch more from the era, this is there's no reason that this sticks out. That this should stick out than any other movie. Okay, I, I guess I could under this, understand that sentiment. Like, once I've fleshed out, like, that background more. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for, like, not watching any other... Because this came out in 1942. I don't have a huge background in watching movies from 1942. Um, you want to know... So, the only reason I watch this movie is because there's, like, an offhand line in Men in Black. Like, the one that came out in, like, 97. Oh, the original? Yeah. The first one? And Kay is talking to Jay about, uh, like, First Contact. And he's like, yeah, it's like Casablanca, but without the Nazis. <laughs> and that's just like has always stuck out in my head. And I was like, I should watch Cas- Casablanca eventually. <laughs> just for that. <laughs> um, yeah. And because that's supposed to be a Earth was supposed to be established as kind of a, a, a safe haven for like refugee aliens. And so I was like, now I can confirm that that line is accurate. Um, what a me- great. Yeah. What a great <laughs> meta film joke. <laughs> Isn't that great? And the only reason I want to watch this classic of cinema is because of an offhand line in, in Men in Black. <laughs> but uh, what are your first impressions of this? Uh, it's a you know it's a fine story, fun sets and characters, but I mean it's really mediocre in terms of overall execution and theme. Um, there are lots of much more interesting films, uh, even within the era, um, than Casablanca. Not necessarily in terms of hollywood films because they're all the same um they just pick a formula and stick with it like it i i i can't tell you why this isn't why this is considered one of the greatest films of all all time or why anyone even knows about it that's older that's younger than 60 or yeah i mean honestly right um i thought this was a charming bit of ally world war ii propaganda um loosely covered in a love story that's exactly what i said this is not a romance (laughs) at all uh uh, i certainly understand more references now that i've seen casablanca so um i have that i do like this though i thought it was for what i was expecting to see i I guess i thought it was better than that because we've we've watched some i mean not even like old old like i mean just kind of going back into like some 80s and i was like these kind of suck so i was like go back another couple decades like these probably aren't very enjoyable either there's a lot of stuff in this that I that I actually liked. I thought there was, uh, there's like interesting kind of metaphors in it, and I I think this is really. I mean, there there is one. This is just like an allegory for a different story, but it's kind of wrapped up in a love story. But along the way, I think there's a lot of kind of fun stuff with it. So I liked it. I thought it was fine. Yeah. So uh, we can get into the look. One thing I really liked about it is it's almost in like one setting. It's in Rick's club. Yeah. And there's so much stuff in like in just like the first 20 minutes of the film. I mean, it's not very often that I think you can see a movie nowadays where you get to just sit in like one spot and just watch 
something happen. We did just watch a movie, did a podcast a little bit ago on a movie called The Humans. Yeah, I was, which, I was thinking the, the exact same <laughs> when you were saying that, like, <laughs> like, well, we did just do The Humans. But that's, but, uh, but we talk about in that, like, that's not a normal audience movie. Um, and that takes place all in like a New York apartment. This mostly takes place in Rick's club and there's a lot of stuff that happens. Like uh, there's kind of like this myth building around Rick, you know, like he doesn't drink with his guests and hmm. oh, like the, there's like the number two banker in Switzerland wants to have a word with him. He's like, oh, well the number one banker is our chef now. And yeah, I like kind of just kind of in it's Rick's club and there's like that myth building around him. And Rick has different names for different people. Eric, um, Richard. Yeah. Um, you know, Mr. Rick, it's just depending on his relationship, he has just a different persona that he gives them. So, yeah, it really helps elevate that myth of him, of of Rick. Yeah. And then uh, the, there's the Nazis that uh, confront Laszlo. Um, Rick uh, confronts Ilsa. There's uh, Sam and Ilsa, like, kind of have flashbacks of that romance. And all this takes place, like, so early in the movie. And it's all just in one spot. And so... I, I can't like really get too deep into the look because it's really kind of just one big set, but, but it's, it's all like really kind of compelling and there's like so much going on that like, I'm not really, I'm not really annoyed or worried that I'm staying in one spot. You get these star Wars movies where you have to travel to 12 different planets or like guardians of the galaxy where they go everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to just see a movie that's contained, you know? Yeah. And that's really the charm of Casablanca. It's all of its sets and characters. You've this giant melting pot of cultures and languages, this lavishly designed club where all of the side characters are extensions of the atmosphere with little glimpses into their personal lives. Like what brings them to Casablanca, who they love, who they hate, their vices, predators in their uh, helpless prey trying to get out of Casablanca and escape the Nazis with, you know, their dark past and other characters that have hopes for brighter futures. And everyone's actions are incredibly cliched, but these things weave in and out of the main plot so effortlessly, and it gives us this this feeling of, of a real place despite its inherent shallowness. You talk about it being cliched. Uh, Jules Epstein, who is one of the writers for the screenplay for this, he said, uh, this movie has more corn than the state of Kansas and Iowa combined, but when corn works, there's nothing better. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect way to describe this movie. It is melodramatic, and it does. It hits all those things that you're like, oh, okay, that's a little a little over the top, a little too much, but it's so, it, I think it all works out so well in this film. Yeah. And I think you can really just applaud his self-awareness. Of oh what yeah. He, what he's that. made. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, this is like, <laughs> it's like, I know what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a popcorn flick. Literally. Um, what do you think of the sound? I think that the score is nothing special the same way. I don't like really think visually there's anything special going on in this. No. Uh, but I do think when all of the, musical elements are like actually happening in the scene like those are all the best parts of the music in this film like um like sam playing the piano you know you have that classic line that's misquoted all the time like play it again sam um yeah she actually says uh yeah i wrote it down it's like play it once sam for old time's sake yeah play as time goes by and i was like i kept listening for it like did i did i mishear mishear it like where's play it again sam just always been misquoted it's just another one of those mandela effects Right. And then uh, you have the, there's the one woman who's like playing a uh, classical guitar and she's singing mm. um, when the Nazis all are singing their song. And Victor goes out and he tells them to, I'm going to say this so wrong, so wrong uh, play La Marcellus, which is the French national anthem. And I love that. And then the band starts playing it and you get a bunch of, of other people singing in French. They're singing their national anthem. And apparently on set, like, 
that was a pretty powerful scene. Like everyone who's crying that you see on screen, they were actually like really teared up because I think that's another thing that we forget, like kind of going back to these old movies, like this came out during World War II. Yeah. And not only that, like there were only three American born actors on this set. Right. Everyone else was, uh, I mean, you have uh, um, what uh, Rick Blaine is, or I mean, you know, yeah, Humphrey Bogart is is um, American. Ingrid Berryman is uh, Swedish. Uh, Paul Henry is, uh, I don't remember now. He's not, I think he's British. Claude Rains definitely is. Um, but yeah, a lot of other people are from all different parts of Europe. There's only, there are very, very few American-born actors in this film. I know one of the Nazi officers is played by uh, someone who was Jewish who got out of Germany and he was a big part of like the uh, like the stage acting in Germany at the time. And he was like, he thought it was like really empowering and helpful to have a Jewish actor play like a snobby, shitty Nazi to be like kind of like get that power back. Be like, yeah, like kind of like making fun of it, you know? Yeah, that's so interesting to... Um to, that he thought that because we'll be talking about Jojo Rabbit in a little while and about how uh, Taika Waititi played uh, Hitler in his film. He's oh, actually so similar, yeah, and he's actually part Jewish. Yeah, his mother is Jewish and like introduced him to the book and everything, and that's kind of was the uh, motivation to make that film. Yeah, but yeah, I do like that a lot. Like, I, I love the idea of a, a Jewish actor making a Nazi look bad and like that, like kind of being an empowering thing. Yeah. I think that's excellent. Same thing with Mel Brooks and the producers. It's a very, apparently it's a very old Hollywood theme. <laughs> oh, I love the producers. That's a great movie. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think all the best sound to get back to that, all the best sound is stuff that is uh, diegetic. It's all happening in the scene. And that's because yeah, the score is ridiculous. It's so over the top. Yeah. And, and it's all kind of tones that are forgettable. Like there's not, a hook that really grabs me or anything like that yeah it's just giant orchestra um you know symphonic uh a lot of scores were done that way and it's i really love the minimalism that we get nowadays um i'd say in the last 20 30 years um those scores are are so great even the best movies going back to like the the 60s 70s 50s um a lot of their scores are a little bit over dramatic compared to what we get now. Even uh, it starts to fade a little bit more in the eighties, but you still get some over dramatic music. I really love the trend towards minimalism. So I do uh, getting more like keeping with like kind of the, how this film is set up. I wanted to talk about the pace of it. There is something really interesting about older movies where uh, like, I think especially like forties, fifties, sixties, where you have people who just talk as fast as they can. And They're not even reacting to what the other person is saying. It's like, he's done talking. It is my line now. Which is why I also have a whole section on jokes in Casablanca that I don't <laughs> think are intentional jokes, but just it's a line delivered. And then the way they imme- immediately move on to it, They're, it's like so comedic. It's like this, this like kind of nonchalantless, like throwing away a line and then like moving on from it is like really funny to me. Um, I used to watch this show, uh, Dragnet. There's a couple different iterations of it. One was in like uh, 1967, and I watched that um, reruns. I didn't watch it. I wasn't there. Um, but they do the same thing where they just, and I, this is decades after Casablanca came out, and they're still doing that. They just, it's a detective, and he's got his partner, and the one detective is basically explaining all the clues and everything they found. And then at the end of the episode, he basically recaps the episode. And this movie felt like the same way as that. It's like, it's just people like really talking at you a lot. They've said their line. I will now speak my line. And we exchange information without regard for 
what the content of the person, what they said. Right. Okay. So let's move into characters. Uh, let's talk about Rick. Um, you have a note here about the the hero archetype. Yeah. Just kind of a general, like he's a good guy or like, but has like a, a dark past, like lone cowboy type thing, you know, very American, um, you know, coming to the new world. Uh, in this case, it's, it's, uh, Morocco and he's, uh, escaping, um, uh, for whatever reason, who knows? It's it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's his gun running or whatever, fighting on the Republican side in the uh, uh, Spanish Civil War. Um, that's that's really all it is. Is like he is a club owner now, but like his past is uh, fighting on the the side of the little guy. So I have a different thought. I did a little research and I came up with that he's the lover archetype, not the hero. And this is a character who, like, creates relationships, wants to evoke emotions. Um, there's also, like, other descriptions where it's, like, someone who, like, lives lavishly, like, enjoys the finer things, which I think that character kind of embodies a lot, you know, him owning the club. And, you know, he there's a part where, like, he goes to the safe and he just pays out the money, you know, because it's no big deal to him. So I wonder, is the lover archetype a real thing or is that just, like, a made-up thing I found just kind of researching this character? Is it... Is that something like is traditionally thought of as a real archetype? Um, in my professional opinion, uh, that sounds like bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've never heard of something like that before. Um, I also disagree with all of those motivations. Uh, I think he's paying out the uh, the winnings because he doesn't care because it's uh, he's just doing the right thing. It's, it's more hero archetype. Um, he has like a sentimentalist side as well, but it's in, uh, but it's doing the right thing. That's and those are all ideas of of the hero, and especially with the way the film ends, um, with him, you know, marching off and uh, to uh, resist Nazis in general, like join the opposition. It's just pure hero the whole way through. This is why it's not a romance. It's because the entire thing, the his entire. Uh, Romance with Ilsa is just contrived in order to um, balance the idea of duty and uh, the naivete of running away, because uh, that's what he's doing at the club. It's just running away, trying to hide out. But Laszlo is rep- represents uh, this idea of duty, and when he's there, he he forces Rick to confront these two things within himself. And so this is why that Rick is uh, like a hero archetype. I don't know what. To be fair, I agree with you. I just <laughs> wanted to like add something to the conversation. This is like a you know I, I was just kind of searching around and poking around. I found an article or two that says he's a lover archetype, which is something I'd never heard of. Yeah, me. Me either. But it was it was just saying like, you know, someone who goes out of the way to there to bring joy or do something nice to a lover, which I think you could say that that's what Rick does, but that's, that's what also what a hero does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why it's like the hero archetype is really, really broad, yeah. which is why there are only a few archetypes is because they encompass a wide range of actions. Yeah, I just saw that and I was like, oh, Kelvin will get a kick out of this. Let's, yeah, let's I think make up an archetype. Yeah, I think that's just some person that like, oh, I've discovered something different. I've made a name for myself in like, I mean, no, man, like this this stuff has been, if you want, if you really want to get into archetypes, go ring, read Carl Jung because, oh my gosh, if you want Don't to. Don't make me press that button, dude. I'll, I'll oh, get on the Jung train. I'm not going to get on the Jung train because, yeah, but if you really want to get into the drivel of psychobabble, um, that with really no justification, a lot of Jung's writing is like that. Like it sounds like profound, but it's really just like it's called um, uh, who is it? Deepak Chopra, um, I think is his name. Um, he is like a uh, 
a talking head, like religious political figure. Um, he says things that sound like they're profound, but they're really not. They're really empty. So it, they're a pejorative referred to as a deepity. Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's D- Deepak Chopra. But deepity is definitely a thing. But it's something that sounds that sounds like it has depth, but it's it's actually meaningless. Right. Which I think the lover archetype is that. So. Yeah. It's just it's just embodied in the larger overall um, arc of the hero. So one thing I want to add to kind of add to that hero archetype that I think Rick has. There's a Bulgarian couple that uh, they the the wife is seeking help from Rick uh, in the club, and she talks about how. This is kind of an obvious bit of foreshadowing to me. Uh, she's like, well, what if, you know, you you loved a woman and she would do anything for you and she did something that, you know, to make you happy and she had to lock it away, like, would you still love her? Which is essentially what is going on with Rick and Ilsa. And um, the kind of the thing that she's going to do to that is lock away but to make her husband happy is to get the visa paper she needs to get out of Casablanca is to sleep with the uh, the police captain. And instead of allowing her to go through with that. Rick lets him like bet at the roulette table, make sure he wins. That way he gets the money to pay for the, uh, for the visa. And so I just wonder like, and it's also, it's the same couple at the very beginning of the movie when the plane lands, they're like, hopefully we'll be on that plane tomorrow. Mm. So it's like, I, I like that that couple kind of keeps reappearing throughout that. But, but I, I do, I think that like, I think it's like a fun little, it's to me, it's kind of like a meta story within the actual story. It's like the same thing being told again, you know, but on like a smaller scale. Yeah, that's actually a really weird uh, quirk of like Hollywood movies in general. They have this idea of of uh, twos and threes, and what they'll do, and what I mean by that is they'll include several recurring motifs, like sayings or actions or objects uh, throughout the film. And examples in Casablanca, I only wrote down a few. There's just there's just a ton. Um, but you have that pickpocket um, who's like vultures everywhere. Uh, he happens twice. It's just, it's not really it's not really meaningful it's just like give us flavor to the story uh you have ferrari's uh fly swatter every time uh rick leaves he just swats the table for you know one no one no reason i hadn't even noticed that that's a good one yeah exactly um there's uh the glasses get knocked over a couple times in a few different places uh there's the line uh, never was much of a businessman um which i think is like why you don't need the bulgarian uh subplot of that couple is because it's very it's heavily insinuated throughout it that he is He's uh, an idealist. Not, I mean, that is told to him throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Until the very end when they're like, oh, I always knew you were a realist. It's like comes to fruition, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and then you have the the here's looking at you, kid. And what's it's funny. That's actually not a line in the script, but it was a phrase that Bogart would say to uh, Barrymon when he taught her uh, how to play poker between takes. Really? Yep. Yeah. I was looking out for that line because I was like, I bet this shows up two or three times. It is said four times in the film. So I was really disappointed that I couldn't find a single twos and threes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what, and that's why it's like not a hard rule. It's, it's just a weird thing that Hollywood films uh, emphasize as, as a narrative device. And you might may say, well, yeah, like all books and movies do this sort of thing because that's how you create symbols um, and motifs in general. But it's, it's the overabundance of these motifs that's unique to Hollywood f- films. It's almost like a pacifier for the viewer. We stay comfortable and grounded seeing things again and again, even on a subconscious level you said that bogart taught bergman how to play poker mm-hmm. so it was heavily thought by um humphrey bogart's wife that he was having an affair with her 
It wouldn't surprise me. She had affairs throughout her entire career. Okay. Yeah, she, uh, man, yeah, her Wikipedia is just rife with. Is uh, it? With, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's gonna be a fun read. Yeah, exactly. Um, but finishing up with characters, the only one that I actually care about that is so, so cool, I think, is Captain Renault. Oh yeah, he's the most interesting character. He also has like two of the best jokes in the whole thing. Um, there's a part where he where he makes the bet with Rick about uh if um they'll get out of the if they'll get out of yeah if Laszlo if Laszlo escapes and he's like oh I'll bet you twenty thousand he's like ten thousand I'm a I'm a poor corrupt official <laughs> which is just a great line and then later on when they're trying to figure out a way to arrest Laszlo and Rick in his club and uh. He's like, I'm, I, I'm shutting you down. I'm just shocked. There's gambling going on here, and like one of the employees, Carl, yeah, Carl walks up to him. He's like, "You're winning, sir." <laughs> he puts it in his pocket, and he literally says, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> it's amazing, and and part of why I think that like, those are so comedic is just because the way the dialogue is delivered in this movie is just it's immediately move on, move on, move on, and so it is funny because there's not even time for that joke to breathe at all. And I, I just, that's why I have a whole section on jokes because I just think, and, and like two of the best ones are, are from the captain there. Yeah. And Renault is like, he's so interesting as like this, he's not a domineering authoritarian. Like his entire character structure is, is built on the, on his boastfulness of his untouchable status. So rather than anger or strength, which is unusual, not for the era necessarily, but it's unusual for us. Like there are so many, like everyone is outright villainous and mean, angry. Like you can just get it from their expression and their tone that these are bad people. And with Renault, um, he just has this nonchalance about him. I think it's like I said, like just from that joke about, he's like, I'm a, I'm a poor corrupt official. There's an, it's obvious he operates in a gray area. And so I think like his kind of turn in the end is like totally earned. It doesn't feel forced or anything to me. Oh, it feels so forced to me. Oh, really? Absolutely. Oh, maybe, maybe the charm of the movie just really got me. Yeah, there might be charm, but I just don't think like, I mean, the fact that he like basically, uh, I mean, I call it rape. Like he's, he's, uh, like selling visas for sex. I mean, that's, that it's really hard to, to like have consent in that. It's not the same as prostitution in this case because um, it's a very different dynamic. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's either yeah. extortion or it's, I mean, it's sexual assault. It's, he's a really disgusting creep. Okay. You certainly made him grosser to me now. It, I, because I they cut a lot of that out of the original, uh, from the original cut. Um, they weren't going to be able to show it because, uh, because the uh, like actually talking about sex. I mean, obviously back then the uh, motion picture production code was a lot a lot more strict uh, than it is now. Um, but that's why things are only hinted at. Like we know that he that he um, trades sex for these visas, but it was a lot more overt in the original cut. I think he even mentions that he's like, I hope you don't ruin it tomorrow night when I bring like a nice blonde. Yeah, I have a beautiful blonde yeah. coming, and it's just like, oh, that's man, that is. It's so the like the offhand misogyny of older films really can you can you can gloss over if you're not paying attention, but it is it is deeply disturbing when you look at it without the music and without the charm of like an older Hollywood type yeah. uh, aesthetic. It's something about putting something in black and white makes it like oh, okay, all that awful stuff that you guys used to do is okay now. <laughs> yeah, especially when no one reacts to it. Like ah, gosh, Captain Renault off raping women again. Man, okay. I, I feel bad for defending his turn at the end. It's not earned. Okay. Uh, I do want to say, you know me, I love my fun facts. 
in the early 2000s, um, Madonna wanted to remake this movie. Yeah. With her starring in it and Ashton Kutcher as Rick. And basically every studio unanimously is like, this is untouchable. We will never make this movie. I cannot imagine a worse casting for that movie. I can't imagine a worse casting either. Although I don't even think that that Humphrey Bogart was a good casting because I don't think he's attractive at all. So for him to be a romantic, quote unquote, romantic lead, I think was weird. Like Laszlo or the guy. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Paul Henry. Like he's an attractive fellow. But I think that Rick works really well. Or I mean, Bogart works really well as club owner. He does not work as like. There's also like a 19 year age gap between Bogart and uh, Berryman. Like she's like 25 when they shoot this, and he's 42. Is she related to Ingmar Berryman? No. Uh, Dang, I was hoping that that would be another fun fact. I want to say that they also had an affair, though. No way, <laughs> dude. I'm trying. She's wild. Yeah, yeah. Did she? I mean, she's been in um in some of his in, in some of his films, if I remember right. And I might be thinking of uh, Lee Vulman. Um. Yeah, Ing, 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 uh, Ingmar uh, Berryman is also a total creep. So, yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't know what it is with that that name and Hollywood status, yeah. but they're both. Yeah, they're not great individuals in terms of their uh, fidelity. Right. Uh, do you want to move on to let's let's go to the ending of this? Mm. I think it works. I want to know what you think because I, like I said, I already said that I think kind of that redemption at the end all works, but I want to know what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I don't necessarily think that, yeah, I don't think it really works. It's like, I don't know. Um, like, first of all, um, Ilsa was never going to leave Laszlo. Uh, the motion picture production code expressly forbade the depiction of a woman leaving her husband. So it was never in question whether or not she was going to leave him or not. Um, but yeah, I also just think of like, like all of it, it's, it's really, it's not, this is why it's not a romance. It's, it's wartime propaganda because um, uh, Laszlo and Ilsa are just represent uh, representations of Rick's unconscious, like the push and pull between duty and sentimentalism. So the film ends with him shunning his naive attempt at hiding away in Casablanca by sending, by sending Ilsa away and then marching into the unknown mists of resistance. Like then it's the call to action so strong that even an evil man like Renault was awakened. Um, and this is actually what, like why historians speculate this, it resonated with people and why it became one of the greatest movies of all time. I just don't think it's all very, very contrived. What, like how they got the, uh, the Nazi officer there in the first place was weird. So yeah, I don't, I don't really think of it as, uh, as being earned. Um, I just think it's, it's just a weird metaphor at the end and they just wanted to end it that way. Um, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's it's not a love story because, like you said, it's propaganda. It is uh, Rick is America, yeah. unwilling to yeah. step into World War II until like the stakes get high enough and he feels a reason that he needs to be a part of it. And now mm-hmm. he's going to step in and be the the sleeping giant. You know, he's going to wake up and come in and save the world and everything. And I mean, that's that's what it is. It, it's 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 just a metaphor for USB coming involved in in World War II which is why it's not a love story, which is why it's propaganda, which is why it's also a great film for the 1940s and not a great film for, you know, 2021. 
Yeah. And actually, like, speaking of that, like, the, one of the things I really, really hate about this film is just how Ilsa's character is portrayed in general. Like, she's overdramatic and prone to swooning, like a ridiculous caricature of the woman condition. So, like, on top she, of... She very quickly is like, okay... I'll I'll leave him and I'll stay with you, Rick. It's so fast. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, yeah. On top of that, like, it's like they were in, in explicit in suggesting that she was cheating on her husband, um, like throughout most of the film, and then she outright says it. Um, but and in the end, it's Rick's sense of duty that sets the woman straight and sends her on the plane. And I can almost understand why they wrote her character that way when we consider that she's really a metaphor for Rick's moral journey. Except that Renault outright villainous scumbag is given a redemption arc. I wonder, is that supposed to represent countries after World War II being like, oh, we realized the folly of our ways and we're going to come around to... I think it's just all types of Americans <laughs> being rallied right. around. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, you might've been a scumbag before, but at least you're not a woman. Right. Like that's basically... Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, what, are, what are your... Final thoughts on this. I think I, I have a pretty good uh, score for this one. Um, how many usual suspects would you round up for this one out of 10? <laughs> That's funny. We'll, we'll get that confused when we actually do the usual suspects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a fine movie. It's it's really hard to pin down why it's an all-time classic. Uh, even the studio's executives that greenlit it didn't think it would amount to anything special. It's just another star-driven story. So nothing is visually interesting. The characters are archetypal. Nothing transcends the era. So why this one? Again, I I can't tell you. You want to talk about how it doesn't make sense why it transcends or anything. In the 80s, the script was sent around to basically every major studio. And a couple people caught that it was the Casablanca script. But everyone else was like, it's too dated, too much dialogue, not enough sex. It was basically <laughs> the critiques of the of Casablanca. Like this movie that's hailed is like one of the greatest all time. In the eighties, people are like, This is garbage. <laughs> so That's so funny because then yeah, then the eighties the proceeded to make nothing but that garbage. Wasn't garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the fly. I don't know why. I have, I have a deep connection with that movie. I that's, love it. That's so strange. Um it feels like we've dogged on this a bit. I still really liked it. I I, I put this like a seven out of ten. I, I liked six, it. It's a six point three. I've seen better. Okay, films we're not that far off then. Yeah, it's there are things that work. It's a good story. Um, you know, it's, but it's like Jaws. You know, why is it? Why does it matter? I no, I don't know. Uh, it's just cliches and things that just continue to resonate. There's right. nothing. I mean, at least in Jaws, there are some film elements that were interesting. There's nothing like that here. No, yeah, I think we stated that when we talked about the look and the score. It's like nothing nothing to really look or see here. Uh, but I do like your idea of going back and watching more stuff from that era, and maybe that'll really drive home that maybe this one isn't that special, or maybe I'll really realize that this one is really special, you know? Maybe, maybe. I'll prove you wrong. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, we're wrapping this one up. Uh, I'm your host, Connor. I'm here with Calvin, and uh, you can reach us on... Uh, now, this is podcasting100 at gmail.com. We also upload these videos to YouTube. We have a comment section there. I check them all the time. Uh, you can also find this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, pretty much any platform that you want to find a podcast. Uh, with that, uh, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting. <laughs>